All right, well, if you have a Bible this morning, um, go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to start a new series today on the book of Galatians. And uh, before I get started, I want to kind of tell you why uh, I want to, as a church, go through this great book of the Bible. It's in the New Testament, Galatians. And let me just kind of give you a little bit of background before I kind of really start preaching today. First of all, Galatians is a great book. It, it seems like, by most accounts, that the book of Galatians was written about A.D. 50. That is a long time ago, right? Um, it's a public document from the Apostle Paul to churches in a region called Galatia, A.D. 50. That means that if it was written around A.D. 50, maybe even A.D. 48, or as late as A.D. 57, it's one of the oldest Christian documents. So imagine this, the first gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was written A.D. 65. So Galatians is written 15 years before the earliest gospel of Jesus Christ. And by some estimates, Galatians was the first document written to churches post-Old Testament, right? So this book is like seminal. Um, it's an amazing book, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. And if you're investigating Christianity, and you want to know what Christianity is, you really got to get a hold of the Apostle Paul and who he was and, and what he was all about. Apostle Paul wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. And either Galatians or 1 Thessalonians was, it was his first writing that he wrote to the church. So, so this book is really important, used by God. We believe it's Scripture. So even though we talk about the human author, we say ultimately it's, it's given to us from God. This is God's word to us, the book of Galatians. Now, the power of this book is really simplified. And one of the reasons why I want to talk about it uh, to you and, and talk about it as a church is because what the Holy Spirit really put on my heart with this book is that the life that God has for you is a life that's received, not achieved. I mean, if I could summarize the letter of Galatians, that's what it's all about. That the life God has for you transformation, forgiveness, the life that God has for you is received, not achieved. That's a very unique message because every other message of the world, you got to achieve your salvation. But Galatians says that freedom in Jesus and freedom from God and freedom from bondage and healing from God is not something you achieve, it's something you receive. And I will remind you of that kind of, that theme of Galatians as we go through. But that kind of gives you some of the background. This book is a phenomenal book. And if you and I can, can wrap our arms around it and let God use it to speak into our life, man, we are going to be growing disciples of Jesus in a fallen world. And so that being said, let me uh, read the first section. I want to cover the first 12 verses uh, this morning of this great letter. And if you have it, Galatians chapter 1, let's start in verse 1. And if you're able, if you're able, please stand with me and let me read these first verses to you as we get started in this book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's how it starts. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I would draw your attention to the word gospel. Um, Paul uses the word gospel six times in those 12 verses, gospel. We all know the meaning of this word gospel means good news. I always like to think of gospel as like the published good news. I, I like adding published because the concept of good news is that it's news that is proclaimed. Gospel is an announcement. Gospel is an advertisement. Gospel is not like, it's not about like a committee coming together and saying, what's your opinion or how do you feel about things or what's your thought or what's your worldview? Gospel is like, this is what it is. That's gospel. It's good news. And God gives us in our own life, He gives us little illustrations of the experience of the gospel. We experience gospel messages every day in our life, you know. It's like a gospel message might be um, if you've been sick and the doctor comes up with a cure and says, hey, we've got a cure for your sickness, that would be gospel. And you'd be like, amen. Like, that's good news. Or if you're like me, like gospel would be like, your car is fixed. I mean, for the love of Pete. I've like borrowed everybody's car in the church. I, I keep telling people, if you come to our church long enough, Pastor Josh will borrow your car. Right? It's like ridiculous. I just got a call from the Honda dealership. I, a nice guy, Sam. I love Sam. I'm inviting Sam to church. If you're watching Sam, I love you. He's my service department guy. And I'm like, Sam, where, what, what, where's the engine, man? Where's the engine? He's like, well, it's being made in California and because of COVID, their factory is closed. It's like, what? You know what good news would be? COVID is over. Can I get an amen? Like, please. Then engines will come and good things will happen. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's the experience of, of a gospel. A gospel is kind of, it comes to you and it's news, and it's news that alleviates pain, or it alleviates pressure, or it, it, it causes you to finally like, ah, you just kind of, ah, you excel because of good news. But beloved, there's only one ultimate good news message. 
Because our our main problem is not cars. Our main problem is not sicknesses. Our main problem is we have been alienated from God. And it causes all kinds of stress. Like being separated from God is no joke, man. Like it's, it's a problem. Because you and I were made in the image of God and we were made to be filled by God and we were made to, 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 to be pleased in God and to be satisfied in God. And when we don't have God, then we start trying to find God in all the wrong people in all the wrong places. We start trying to find God in money and sex and power. Our whole world is clamoring to find God, but a God of their own design. And there's only one gospel that can make us right with God. Only one. There's no other gospel. And the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is laboring in this text. It's clear that he's writing to churches that have begun to believe in in separate gospels. And in particular... This is an important point. In particular, there were these teachers called Judaizers, and they were going into these churches in Galatia, and they were saying, well, it's really good that you believe in Jesus, but if you really want to have peace with God, you got to believe in Jesus, and you got to get circumcised, and you got to eat the right foods, and you got to practice the right holidays, and then you might be right with God. Then you might have peace with God. They were preaching a false gospel. That's why Paul says, you can hear, like you could hear it in the text, right? Like the letter is not a pleasing letter. This is a confrontational letter. If you look at verse 6, look at verse 6, Galatians 1, verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, this is incredible. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Like, wow. If somebody comes to you and they give you a gospel that's different than the gospel of Jesus that makes you right with God, he's saying let him be accursed. Even if an angel, if an angel shows up in your room tonight, bright, burning, beautiful angel, you wake up and you're like, that's the most beautiful angel I've ever seen before in my life. And the angel says to you, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but you need to believe in Jesus and also you need to get circumcised. Men don't do it. Let that angel be accursed. Joseph Smith in the fields on the East Coast. And an angel comes to him and says, there are gold plates buried in the ground. And Joseph Smith's job at that time was like, nice angel, you are accursed. Right? Amen? You're adding to the gospel a book of Mormon. That's, that's a false gospel. Something similar happened to Muhammad years after Jesus. Not good. And in our culture, we have false gospels. Uh, it's abundant. Right? 
Oh, yeah, it's good that you believe in Jesus and go to church, but what you really need is a, is a light show and smoke and laser lights and backlighting to the worship leader who's like a sex symbol. And it moves a little bit when he leaves the worship. Like, if you don't have that, I mean, then you really don't have the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Or, or you go to other churches, like, well, it's great that you believe in Jesus. Why are you sick? Why are you poor? God doesn't want any of his children to be poor. Or it's great that you believe in the gospel, but you should speak in tongues. And not until you speak in tongues can you really be saved or made right with God. Let these people be accursed, beloved. Seriously. You look so good today. You're a champion today. Let them be accursed. Yeah, that's, that's what Paul is saying. You know, people say, well, the gospel, it, you know, we need to bring unity in a world of division. I agree, but our unity must come on God's terms and not our own. Can I get an amen? And, and, and the gospel at the end of the day, man, it is a divisive message because it's exclusive and it's absolute. And Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul is saying, you need no one or nothing else except for Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. If you're poor or rich or healthy or sick, or it doesn't matter if you, if you have Jesus... And we say, well, now why is this so important? Well, number one, because we want eternal life and we want the security that we have eternal life. Because life is short. And how do you know? How do you know if, if you have peace with God? How do you have security? The Bible says if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. It's also important because we live in a world where we're tempted to be man. Pleasers. I love how I love how Paul is like, am I here to please man or to please God? You know, are, we, are we about what other people think of us or are we about what God says over us in Jesus? And that's a big deal. That's a big deal in your marriage. That's a big deal in being a part of a church. That's a big deal in your relationships. Like the moment that you don't have to be a people pleaser anymore is the moment you're more pleasing for people. And Paul says, man, when you've got the gospel, you're no longer a people pleaser. You're, you're liberated in the freedom that you're, that, that you're right with God, that you've made peace with God. There's no other gospel. There's no other gospel. And so that's my introduction, right? Here comes the sermon. Like, you're like, good grief, man. We got to get that boy a car. He's... He's stressing out. He's writing sermons too long. Good Lord, this guy. The, the probing question is ultimately, okay, how can I tell the difference between the true gospel and man's gospel? That's the probing question today. Like, how do I know what is the real gospel and how do I replace man's gospel in the world, whether religious or secular, with the real gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the question. And I've got four answers for you. You're like, oh, geez. Here we go. Four answers to that question. 
we come back up to the salutation. I want to look at the first five verses today. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And in the salutation of this letter, Paul, um, he just shoots it through with gospel, man. And in the ancient world, there was letters, and they would write these epistles and letters, and everybody wrote, like, like, who was the sender of the letter, and who's the recipient, and then a basic greeting. And so Paul is taking that ancient form of letter writing, and then he just, he just, like, he just preaches the gospel in a salutation. And in the salutation, we get four aspects of how you can replace man's gospel with the gospel, the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, what, how do I know the difference between the two? Number one, because the true gospel is from God and not from man. The true gospel is from God and not from man. Let's look at verse 1. He says here, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul is being defensive there because the false teachers were telling these churches that Paul was not a real apostle. And he's saying there, I am an apostle. And I'm not an apostle because a group of people from the church looked at me and said, you can be an apostle. And I'm not an apostle because James or John or Peter or one of the apostles came to me and said, hey, man, we're going to let you do what we do. Paul is saying, I'm an apostle because God made me an apostle. And what is an apostle? An apostle is the special authoritative founding leaders of the church. An apostle was like the 12 apostles, right? And Jesus gave them authority to speak immediately to people from God like the prophets of the Old Testament. So the apostles had authority to say, thus says the Lord. And they didn't need anybody to either... um, Agree with that or not, like an apostle had total authority. And the twelve apostles are such a big deal that when Judas betrayed Jesus and committed suicide, in Acts chapter 1, they had to replace Judas with Matthias. And one of the criteria that Matthias had to have to be an apostle is he had to be an eyewitness of the whole ministry of Jesus. He had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. And so the apostles had that kind of authority. And so profound is the idea of apostle leadership and the founding of the church that in Revelation chapter 21, which we're going to go through the book of Revelation at some point in time, by the way, but in Revelation chapter 21, it compares the 12 apostles to the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So the apostles are a big deal. And then in Ephesians, in fact, let me go there, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and following, It says here in Ephesians 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, watch this, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being built together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built into the dwelling place of for God, by the Spirit. You see that. And so what Paul is saying is like, it's, it's a pretty dramatic thing what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I am equal to the 12 apostles. That's the authority I have. 
And the message I have for you is coming straight from God. This gospel comes straight from God. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. He's saying that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same authority and power I have to reveal to you the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we hope he's right because he wrote almost half of the New Testament. So, I mean, this is a big deal. Like, you got to agree with that or else you're going to miss the whole Christian thing. Like, you have to agree with him on this. And Paul is uniquely designed, because, you know, if all we had was the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like, you could, you could interpret those a million different ways. We needed Paul to interpret to us the person and the work of Jesus so we could settle our faith on what the Gospel was. And what Paul is saying is, apostolic authority points to this one important principle. The Gospel comes from God. It's not man reaching up to God. It's not man building a staircase or a stairway to heaven. The gospel is always God speaking down, coming down, coming down into the flesh. God revealing down His message to humanity on how they might be right with God. What is man's gospel? Man's gospel is always working your way up to God, having enough faith, being spectacular for God, making sure you do the right rituals and the right liturgy and have the right circumcision and the right food menu and the right holidays. It's always man trying to say, okay, I'm gonna, there's God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my way up. But apostolic authority points to an important principle. The gospel is God coming down to us. Because we couldn't work our way up to God. We couldn't save ourselves. And the only way we can hear from God is if He sovereignly decides, I'm going to speak through the prophet. I'm going to speak through the apostles. And it's to the prophets and the apostles we listen to. That's why I don't have a slide for this, but it just occurred to me. You know, Acts chapter 2. I mean, what's the church devoted to? We're devoted to teaching. Who's a teach, teaching? It says, and they devoted themselves, this is Acts 2 verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. God comes down to us. You know, and it's like, um, yeah, man, the gospel. And this, this is the way it's been from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, like, like, right, you got in Genesis the stairway of, of Jacob. Remember, remember how Jacob saw a vision? And there was this stairway, stairway to heaven. It's a great rock song, right? And, 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 and you got the stairway to heaven, and there's angels going up and down the, that, that ladder to heaven. And Jacob's trying to figure this out because Jacob was a jacked up sinner. Can I get an amen? He was so dysfunctional. And he was, he was always trying to deceive and trying to achieve and trying to work his way up and trying to fix his life on his own like we all try to do sometimes. And he was trying to show how clever he was. And every time he tried to show how clever he was, he, he always fell flat on his face. And one night he saw that vision of 
stairway to heaven and angels coming up and down and he realized, ah, that's how I'm going to be saved. Is not me trying to be clever, but me surrendering to the God who comes down to me in grace. And Jesus said, Jesus said, and John, my tennis shoes today. Sorry, camera people. But Jesus said in John chapter 1, that staircase that Jacob saw of, of, of heaven coming down, I am the ultimate fulfillment because I've come down the stairs to humanity. The Word of God has become flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He came and dwelt among us because the Gospel is always God coming down to us. And religion will come to you and say, well, you're not good enough. And religion will come and add. Religion will come and make you, and create whole systems of condemnation. And they'll try to manage your transformation through condemnation. And the true gospel is, of course you can't do it. Of course you're not good enough. And the gospel of freedom comes and meets us where we're at. Because God comes and meets me where I'm at. Apostolic authority, it, it points to that. And the world, hey, listen. I mean, forget religion. Let's talk about the secular world. Because what's the secular world? Well, you better be just enough. You better be righteous enough. You better signal how righteous and just you are. You better have social justice. You better be good enough. You better say the right things on social media. You better be part of the right groups of people on social media or else you will be rejected and you are not worthy. That's man's gospel. It's all around you, man. It's on the news. It's on social media. It's groups. It's signs that you got to put up in your windows if you live in Chicago or else you might get vandalized. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's like, it's like the night of the Passover culture is coming and you better have the right sign in your window so it passes over you. That's man's gospel, and it's filled with self-righteousness, and it's filled with condemnation, and it's filled with hate. But apostolic authority, what Paul is talking about, is a gospel that comes down and meets us, and, and God gives us forgiveness and grace and love, unearned, undeserved. What is the gospel? The gospel comes from God and not from man. It comes from God and not from man. But the second thing is, okay, well, it comes from God. To whom, I'm trying to get my grammar right, by the way. I worked on this all night last night. To whom, because I know I get my grammar wrong, and you teachers or grammar people, you're like, he drives me crazy. <laughs> to whom is the gospel given? I worked on that all night. You have no idea. To whom is the gospel given? And the answer is that the true gospel is given to the church and not to culture. The true gospel is given to the church, not to, not to culture. And we see that in verse 2. Watch this. He reveals who the recipients of this letter and this message of the gospel is for. He says, and to all the brothers, circle brothers, who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace, and, and, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father, everybody circle our, God, our Father. So who are the recipients of this letter? Well, he says the brothers 
with me are writing to you the churches in Galatia. And we say, well, where, where are these churches in Galatia? So I'm excited to tell you about geography, because in the geography we'll find some theology, right? Which is really exciting. You're like, wow, this is going to get exciting, right? Uh, geography. I know you're like, I wanted to come to church to hear about geography. Uh, please tell me about geography. All right, so where are these churches in Galatia? Southern Galatia are the churches he's writing to, and that would be southern Turkey, modern southern Turkey. And if you want the backstory on these churches in Galatia, um, you could read Acts chapters 13 and 14 today or this week, and you would read about different cities that Paul went on on his first missionary journey. He went to places like Antioch of Pisidia, he went to Iconium, Derby, Lystra, that's the sound, that's how these cities sound like, that's the name of these cities in southern Galatia, and Paul preached the gospel in these places, and he planted churches as an apostle, right? He was sent on mission, and he took the gospel, and he started and planted all these churches in southern Galatia, and so he's writing to these churches in Galatia, of, of the gospel. And what happened was he plants the, the churches in southern Turkey and they believed in the gospel. But as soon as he left, that's when the Judaizers came in after him and said, great that you found Jesus, but the apostle Paul's not really an apostle and he's kind of a hack. And really what you need is you got to have circumcision and fancy food and Jewish food and you got to have the right holidays in order to be saved. Now you say, well, why would I want to study the geography or study this in Acts chapters 13 and 14? And the reason why is because Acts reminds us that when Paul went out, he didn't want to create individuals for God. He was called to create the people of God in the gospel. That's important. Like, God gives the gospel to form communities of churches... And these churches then take the gospel to the nations. But God doesn't give the gospel to culture. He gives the gospel to the church. And you say, well, what about the Great Commission? Right, it's our responsibility as gospel-believing people to take the gospel to the nations as a church community. It's something we do together. And the reason why I emphasize this is because what we've done with Christianity is we've so individualized it that we make people think, watch this, we make people think that it can be about you and Jesus without anybody else. And that the church is incidental to your spiritual growth. Wrong. The church is not incidental to your spiritual growth. The church is instrumental to your growth. And you cannot be formed and shaped into Christ-likeness, and, and you can't be sanctified without the, the project of the community of the church. John Piper said it like this, the perseverance of faith is a community project. That's why we do believe in membership, and we do believe in commitment, and we do believe in coming together. Now, the objection that we make is we say, well, the church has let me down. Right. That's right. The church has let you down. And the church has let me down too. And my wife has let me down. I can say that because she's not here right now, so don't tell her I said that. She's actually perfect. And my kids have let me down. And I let my kids down. And I'm going to let you down because I'm going to have to borrow your car. 
and you're going to let me down because I'm going to be like, why don't you do more? Why don't you give more? Why don't you serve more? Why don't you do this more? Because we're all imperfect, jacked up people coming together in the name of Jesus. Jesus is perfect. We are not. And the sign of our health as a church is to admit we are not perfect. We are going to let you down. But you can't take your ball and go home and say, well, I'm just going to make it about me and Jesus. Because the moment you do that is the moment you forget that the Bible says that Jesus purchased the church with his blood. Acts chapter 20. If I can find it. Oh, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Where Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders and he says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His blood. And when you read the end of Revelation, you know what it says at the end of Revelation? That the church is the bride of Christ. And that that the church has made herself ready for the coming of the groom. And that together we will be together at the marriage feast of the Lamb. You cannot grow in Jesus without the church. And maybe this is not the church for you. That's okay. Find a church. Because the New Testament was written to churches. And as an individual, I'm responsible to follow Jesus. There's no question. But I am not going to grow in Christ without community of believers. And that's why Paul says... Me and the brothers. I'm not just writing you. Oh, this isn't just me writing to you. Me and the brothers. Your brothers in Christ. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, you and I are brothers and sisters. Amen? You're like, well, I don't like you, my brother. Well, sometimes I don't like my brothers. But you have to love me. And I have to love you and Jesus. Because we're all beggars. Telling other beggars where to get some bread. That's why he says grace to you and peace from God. Not my Father. Not God my Father. No, he says peace from God. Our Father. A pronoun of community. Our Father. And Jesus said when you pray, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven he didn't say pray my father who art in heaven he said pray disciples pray our father remind yourself even in when you're praying to god that it's not just your god it's your brothers and sisters god brothers and sisters saved by grace and forgiven together see that's different than man's gospel man's gospel is going to make it all about you man Oh, man's gospel is going to come and just feed your ego and tell you how great you are. Man's gospel is going to come to you and say, oh, it's all about you. And man's gospel is going to put something that lives rent-free in your brain. Why don't they treat me better? Why don't they do it better? Why, why, why don't I get recognized? Why don't, why don't I get the gift? That's man's gospel. But the true gospel from God is to the church. Not to culture. You know, and that's the thing. Like, like people say, well, the gospel is going to change the world. The gospel is going to change culture. Not necessarily. 
but it's going to change people in, the, in culture and connect people in culture to the church so that people can learn how to follow Christ in a fallen world. You say, how can I know the, the true gospel from man's gospel? How can I replace man's gospel with, with the gospel of God? Well, remember that the, the gospel is from God and not from man. It's to the church and not to culture. And number three, it's all about Jesus. The message of the gospel is all about Jesus and not religiosity. Let's look at the message and the content of the gospel. You're like, what's the content and the actual message? Verse 3. He says in this great salutation, probably my favorite salutation out of all of his salutations, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, I noted, you're like, well, what's the content of the, of the gospel? I noted six things that summarize the content of the gospel, but I'm only going to give you three. Can I get a hallelujah? Uh, three things, three things. Message, the message of the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the first thing is that only Jesus can give you grace and peace with God. Amen? Only Jesus. And he, he always uses grace and peace in his greetings, Paul does, because those are the two most important Christian words you could possibly learn. And one leads to the other. Grace is the unearned gift from God that he's not obligated to give to us, which is forgiveness it's justification by faith. It's, it's, it's the healing of our alienation with God the moment we believe in Jesus. And the result of grace is peace, which is harmony with God. And the whole reason why Jesus removes our sin is so that you and I can have access to God as our Father and have a relationship with Him in peace. And I call it relational harmony or relational grace is the gospel. You have to get that because the point of the gospel is to give you a relationship with God. And God gives us peace in Jesus and he, he invites us to His table to sit with Him and have a relationship with Him. Grace and peace. Only Jesus can give us grace and peace. That's the message of the gospel. The second thing is the, the way Jesus is able to do that. Verse 4, He gave Himself for our sins. Underline that phrase. Gave Himself for our sins. The gospel in two words, alright? Here's the gospel in two words. Substitutionary atonement. Atonement means oneness. at one So, if we want oneness with God, if we want atonement with God, it's because Jesus Gave himself for our sins. That's substitution. He takes our place. Amen. So that way we can have atonement with God. Substitutionary atonement. You're like, well, that, those are big words. Give me the gospel in four words. The gospel in four words is Jesus in my place. And I, I, I owed God death because I sinned against him. But Jesus died for my sins. And the important point is this, that when Jesus died, He was sufficient in one death to provide salvation and forgiveness for all of my sin. He doesn't have to die again. I don't have to die again. I don't have to pay any penalty. It's all been paid for. 
That's the gospel. So only Jesus can give me grace and peace. Only Jesus can die in my place. And then finally, only Jesus, only Jesus can give me power to overcome sin in this present evil age. You see that? Verse 4, He gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The present evil age. What's the present evil age? That's a, that's a good question. Like, Well, the moment Adam and Eve sinned to the moment that Jesus come back a second time, that's the present evil age. And what marks the present evil age? Evil. Sin. War. Right? Disobedience. Lack of peace. Satan running rampant. Demons. Demonic powers. A great apparatus trying to divide you from people that love you and you love. A spiritual darkness that, that deceives us as angels of light. And tries to separate us from our spouses and our children and our churches and, and tries to get us to hate people that we love. It's sin. It's alienation from God and from each other and from our environment and from ourself. That's the present evil age. And the point of the gospel is not to change the present evil age, but to give you power to no longer be obligated to the forces of evil that are around you. Jesus delivers us and gives us the Holy Spirit so that through community and the Word and encouragement and accountability... We're able to walk and follow Jesus in a fallen world. And the gospel is this call to believe in Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. Je that's it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus alone is the gospel. Somebody says, what's the gospel? Well, you could do the substitutionary atonement or Jesus in my place, or you could just say, the gospel is the person and the work of Jesus, and he does everything I need. I don't need anything else for my peace with God or peace with myself because he delivers me from this present evil age. Man, that's, and that's... I, I, I could go for a while on that present evil age thing. I really could. And I don't have a car, so I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> I might go like two hours. I might go two hours. You're like, please, I'm so hungry, please. You know, but the only, thing I'll say, <laughs> the only thing I'll say about the present evil age is like, in Jewish thought, this is kind of interesting, in Jewish thought, like the present evil age was here. And when the Messiah come, would, when the Messiah would come, he would there would be a total severance and the new age of the kingdom of God would come. And it was two blocks. Bonk! Present evil age. Messiah comes. Bonk! Judgment happens. New kingdom. And what Paul is saying in the book of Galatians is that Jesus' new kingdom age has broken into the present evil age. And there's an overlap between what's coming and what's already here. There's an overlap with those two circles. So imagine those two circles and they're overlapping. And we call it the already but not yet kingdom of God and Jesus. And we get a taste of the coming kingdom of righteousness and peace and truth and no weeping and no death and no sorrow and no sickness and no broken down cars. I'm going to get a flaming chariot of fire. I'm going to fly around on the golden streets of heaven. Amen. But I get a taste of that in this world. 
But ultimately, Jesus will come back and fully throw away the old age. See the overlap of the present evil age and the inauguration of the new age of the kingdom in the person of Jesus. That's why when you taste Him in Scripture, and when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and when you're enjoying fellowship as a church, you're getting a taste, just a taste, of that coming kingdom of God. Only Jesus can do that, amen? Nobody else can give you that. Believe in Jesus and follow Him. The final thing, okay, so there's four things. Like, what's, how do I know? There's man's gospel. There's God's gospel. How do I replace man's gospel with God? Because the gospel comes from God. The gospel is given to the church. The gospel comes through Jesus alone. And finally, the gospel, the motive of the gospel is the glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. You know, man's gospel is all about man's glory. Right? How can I tell the difference? Well, is it glorifying God? These false teachers, these Judaizers, like all false teachers, they're seeking their own glory. But the gospel is for the glory of God alone. We see that in verse 5. He says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that great? You say, you know, Presbyterians got it right, man. They got these great catechisms, right? It's like question and answers, and you learn your faith through the catechism. Did anybody grow up with a catechism? Anybody? Okay. Renee? Good. Right? Catechisms are good. I think, I think we Baptist people should, like, start adopting them or something. But the first question of the Westminster Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's the purpose of the gospel. Living our life to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the gospel is not about glorifying me or you. It's not about glorifying the pastor or the teacher or the leaders or the members or the people who work hard to make the church go. Our satisfaction comes when God is glorified, when He is magnified, when He is shown off. I think John Piper, he says it, you know, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And the reason why Jesus came was for the glory of Father, he said, what I'm doing, giving my life for you, is for my Father in heaven. I came to do His will. I came to glorify the Father. I came to, I came to increase the value of the Father in the eyes of sinners who would believe in me. And so this week, man, if you ask yourself, why would Jesus take my place? It's so you can enjoy God in relationship. You can talk to Him. You know He's talking to you. And you know that your life is meant to be a gigantic amen to the glory of God. And that's what we want to do as a church, right? We want to glorify God. We want to say to our communities and our world, we want to say to Kenosha, we want to say, we want to, say to people, man, listen, we want you to, to experience the glory of God and come and connect with us broken people, us beggars. And we'll show you where the bread of life is will show you where you can experience the glory of God. Replace man's gospel with God's gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, 
just this word. And I thank you for Galatians. It's such a good book. And I just pray that this introduction would, would just really prepare us as a church uh, to taste and see that you are good. And Lord, in a world of religiosity and in a world of licentiousness and a world of lawlessness, Lord, we pray the gospel would be the difference in our life, leading to transformation in our present evil age. <laughs> we pray that we would be able to encourage and equip more families to follow Jesus in a fallen world through the book of Galatians. And Lord, I pray that if anyone here, whether online or here in person, if they don't know you, if they've never crossed the line of faith, help them to cross the line of faith. Help them, give them the grace to turn from sin and to believe in Jesus. Open their eyes to see that you came down when we couldn't go up and help them to surrender their life to Jesus today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.